0: I spoke with Reuben and Linda last night and they wanted to pass on their greetings. Um, Reuben was for sure wanted me to tell Danny that he (coughs) listens to the service every Sunday morning. So, yeah. That's cool. Can't get rid of us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Barb. And it it is good to know that there's many who pick up the, the podcast that goes on every week, and and that even when they're down south, they can still be a part of our, our fellowship here. It's great to know. I would ask you to, again, bow with me, and let's ask God to bless his word. Father, thank you that your word is powerful, it is living, it is active, and it is for us today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are so ready and so willing to meet us exactly where we are today. Whether we come with hearts full of joy or hearts full of sadness, whether we come zealous and fired up for you, or whether we've come feeling low and depleted and just sputtering along in our faith, you are ready and willing to speak to us. Thank you. And so I pray, Father, that these words would be yours. Speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we continue into part 7 of our series in Exodus, entitled The Way Out. We turn to Exodus chapter 7, and here we will shortly see the terrible and cataclysmic destruction that Pharaoh heaps upon himself and the entire Egyptian nation as a result of his hard heart towards God. Now it almost goes without saying that a hard heart is a very dangerous condition. You know, our physical heart beats up to 75 times per minute. That's the average. Some will be a little higher than that. Some will be a little lower. But 75 heartbeats a minute is the average. And if right now you place your hand over your heart, you should be able to feel it thumping away in there. And if you can't, the hospital's across the street. Okay? So if anyone, everyone's good, okay. Your heart should be beating right now. And the heart's relentless case translates to an average 40 million heartbeats per year that's a big number 40 million heartbeats in a calendar calendar year and this translates to pumping an incredible 2.5 million liters of blood through our bodies in one year span but what can happen is very gradually a hardening of the heart's arteries can occur when plaque builds up within the walls of the arteries, thereby restricting that life-giving flow of blood. And if this builds up long enough over time, if severe enough, that hardened arteries can lead to a blockage, which can lead to a heart attack, a stroke, and possibly even death. Now, our spiritual hearts bear striking similarity to our physical hearts. For when the plaque of sin builds up within it, a hardening of our heart happens towards God, which, if left untreated, can lead to spiritual death. And we will see this clearly in the life of Pharaoh in our text for this morning. But the danger, let me just say at the outset, the danger does not just apply to Pharaoh, but to each and every one of us here today. And so this morning, we're going to examine this cautionary tale and identify the three steps of developing a heart that is hard towards God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 7 if you have your Bibles. And let's just remind ourselves of the story Barb read earlier, and we're going to just look quickly at verse 3, and here we see God speaking to Moses, and this is what he says. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to me. Now, at first glance, it appears that if God is the one hardening Pharaoh's heart, then Pharaoh must have had no say in the matter. He was simply just an unwitting actor in God's cosmic drama of displaying his power through the plagues of Egypt. But before we jump to any conclusions, we must first remember that God is sovereign and omniscient. What these big words mean is that God is above all things and God knows all things. And so here we must clarify that there is a distinction between God being above all things and knowing all things with him controlling all things in such a manner that it leaves man with no choice or responsibility in how he decides. C.S. Lewis uses a helpful analogy of a man observing a parade route from the vantage point of a skyscraper high above. From this heightened vantage point, he can see the beginning of the parade and he can see the end of the parade with every twist and turn along the route. He therefore knows in advance which way the floats will turn even before they do. But those down on the ground in the parade itself can only see what is directly in front of them or behind them. They cannot see what is around the bend. In a similar fashion, God seeing the beginning and the end, simultaneously, he foresaw which way Pharaoh's heart was going to turn before Pharaoh exercised his free will to make that turn. And so yes, God would eventually harden Pharaoh's heart, but not before mercifully giving Pharaoh not one, not two, not three, but seven opportunities to soften his own heart, heed God's word, and let The people go. But even with seven chances, Pharaoh refuses. And with each subsequent refusal, it was as though he was hardening his spiritual heart's arteries with the plaque of sin and rebellion towards God. You see, the truth is if we willfully reject God's word long enough, and we reject his will for our lives, um, you know, with this ever hardening attitude of heart towards him, there comes a point where God will eventually grant us our wish. If God says repeatedly, Here is the path I have for you, walk in it, and we say, No, 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 eventually God will say, Have it your way, walk down your path. For only after Pharaoh had proceeded to harden his own heart seven times, knowingly and willfully, did God finally oblige him? And it's only upon the sixth plague's arrival do we read in Exodus chapter 9 verse 12, jumping ahead in the story, there we read, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. And so here we see that Pharaoh was ultimately responsible for the hardened condition of his own heart. And now this obviously is a very dangerous place to be, not a situation that anyone wants to find themselves in. And so let's backtrack and see the progression which led Pharaoh to this fatal point of actually having God harden his heart. And in doing so, may we learn from his mistake. The first step to a hardened heart towards God is blatant disobedience. Now, this may seem readily obvious, but I think it bears repeating. Blatant disobedience is the first step towards a heart that is hard towards God. You will recall from last week, those of you who are here, that when Moses and Aaron had stood before Pharaoh and delivered the message of God, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let the people go. Pharaoh's immediate response to the word of the Lord was blatant disobedience. Now, let me just draw a distinction here between blatant disobedience versus we'll call regular disobedience. What's the difference? In my mind, as a father, some of you may be in the same stage of life as me, so I hope you can identify with this, and those of you who are who aren't. You've all been a child at one point, so you should be able to identify with this. In my mind, regular disobedience is when my five-year-old son knows in a general sense that he shouldn't be rummaging through the cupboards and the fridge for a snack anytime he wants and without permission. He has some idea that this is probably not okay. Blatant disobedience is when 15 minutes... Fifteen minutes after Leanne and I have just had a sit-down, serious talk with him and made it crystal-sparkling clear that he should not and would not rummage in the cupboards or the fridge without there being severe repercussions, Fifteen minutes later, what do I hear but rummaging in the cupboards and the fridge door opening? And let me just say that as a father, I treat the second offense as far more serious than the first. Why? Because the disobedience was blatant. He had just been told, this is the exact boundaries. There will be repercussions if you go across this boundary. And what does he do? He breaks the boundary. This may or may not have just happened this morning. (laughs) Now, there's a difference. In the same way Pharaoh, before Moses, came to him, You know, we must remember there was no written word of the Lord in those days. As the pharaoh of Egypt, he had only been taught what had been handed down to him by his forefathers. They had all of their many pantheon of Egyptian gods. He had been taught from a young age that as the pharaoh, he was as though he were a god on earth. We can't blame him for his attitude or his mindset towards a lesser god of an enslaved people. And so in this place, we know that in some vague sense, He may have had some inner conscience say to him that, you know, enslaving and mistreating those Hebrew people the way you are isn't a very kind or noble thing to be doing. Maybe he had some vague sense of that. But when Moses comes along, gives him God's direct words, and with those words still ringing in his ears, Pharaoh blatantly defies them and God. He has stepped into another realm of blatant disobedience. And so let me ask, where are you at in this regard? Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've placed your faith in him. If you're a Christian, then at some point in your life, you've experienced a moment where you became directly aware and convicted of some sin in your life that perhaps you'd been previously oblivious to you'd done it almost your whole life without even thinking about it and suddenly in a moment of conviction perhaps in a sermon perhaps in reading the bible perhaps in some other avenue that someone said something to you you were convicted of your sin and you became painfully aware that this had to change but then upon hearing god's word and feeling the conviction of the holy spirit Knowing that you need to repent of this sin, knowing you need to turn from it, knowing you need to receive God's grace, you instead say, no, I'm not going to turn from this behavior, I'm not going to turn from this sin, I'm going to continue in it. This is an act of blatant disobedience. Before it was general, you were unaware, but now God has made you aware of it, and to continue in it, once he has made you aware of it, is an act of defiance. To say, I know this is sin, but I'm not going to stop, and I'm not going to change, is blatant disobedience, and it's something that God the Father treats as very serious. And as with Pharaoh, it is the first step towards a hardening of heart. Step number two towards a hardening of heart towards God is skepticism and disbelief of God's power. In Exodus chapter 7 and verses 8 to 10, we read this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. And so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did just so, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and before his officials, and it became a serpent. Now, how cool is that? I want that staff. Who else wants that staff? Who here hates snakes? I'm going to mess with you with that staff. Ha! Ha! (laughs) <laughs> how amazing wouldn't that be to have that staff with that ability and now because we live in an era of illusionists you know in the in the, uh, the ilk of Harry Houdini you know we have the David Blaines and Chris Angels of the world we have perhaps become a little bit desensitized to these sorts of things we're not as impressed by this miracle of throwing the staff down and becoming a serpent as perhaps we should be well the same can be said of Pharaoh he was immediately skeptical, even though he saw it with his own eyes. This staff became a serpent. He was immediately skeptical that this miracle was anything more powerful than what his court magicians were capable of. So now, whether like a modern day illusionist, they use sleight of hand to deceive, or whether by working some general genuine miracle through some dark satanic power, this is argued by biblical scholars how they actually duplicated these feats. But however they did it, whatever the case, God still proved that his power was greater than the Egyptians' power because Moses' staff, the serpent, swallowed up all of the magician's staffs. Just to show, yes, you can maybe pull off a few tricks as well, but our God is still greater. Even after this act, we read in verse 13, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. Now, Pharaoh, up until this point, had resisted all reasonable efforts to concede to God's demand to let his people go. And so now God's hand would be forced by the means of ten great plagues that would be afflicted, inflicted upon the nation. The first plague which is read for us this morning God sent was turning the river Nile into blood. Now, in an ironic twist, the Nile River was often referred to by the people as the lifeblood of the nation. The god of the Nile was an Egyptian god by the name of Hapi, and Hapi was worshipped for bringing fertility to the land. And so now, that same god who was worshipped for bringing fertility into the land was now instead bringing death and stench and thirst into the land. And again, even upon this miraculous sign, Pharaoh's magicians were somehow able to duplicate this miracle, albeit on a much smaller scale. And in verses 22 to 23, we read, And Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. Now, just as skepticism of God's power plagued Pharaoh's heart. It also plagued the hearts of the people in Jesus' time. Take, for instance, the account that Jesus told of the rich man who died and went to Hades, and the poor beggar Lazarus who died and went to Abraham's side. Now the rich man from this place looks up and he sees Lazarus there in paradise, and he's in a place of torment, and so the rich man pleads with them, "'Please let me go back so I can warn my brothers not to follow me into this place of torment.'" But in Luke chapter 16 and verse 31, the final analysis is given. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. My friends, seeing is not always believing, is it? Well, say seeing is believing And yet we can see God's power directly at work in front of us. And yet still harden our hearts and not believe. For just as Pharaoh saw the miracles, he remained skeptical. And just as people saw Jesus, many, countless miracles. And just as Jesus rose from the grave and the grave stood empty, yet people doubted and many did not believe. So let me ask you. What is in your heart? Are you skeptical of God's power? Are you more prone to see some powerful act and say it was just coincidence or it was just dumb luck that things turned out that way? Are you more quick to do that than to acknowledge the sovereign power of God? perhaps have you ever done this before i'm going to say right at the outset i'm guilty of this have you ever prayed for something specifically and fervently you've prayed for something and then when it came to pass you thought to yourself boy what a lucky break have you ever done that is anyone am, am i the only one guilty of that i've prayed specifically for something and then afterwards thought wow what a coincidence and wait a second Maybe God actually heard my prayer and answered. He exercised his power on my behalf. You see, I've learned that what we typically call coincidence is most often the signature of God's power. Skepticism that God can and will work in powerful ways is a sure path towards a hard heart. That's step number two. Step number three towards a hard heart is insincerity of heart. Now, the second plague that God brought upon Egypt was the plague of the frogs, and we can read about that in chapter 8 and verses 1 to 15. And there Aaron stretched forth his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up out of the waters, and they covered the land. Now, this was especially significant again because each of the plagues confronted one of the Egyptians' many gods. And so the Egyptian god by the name of Heket, Heket was in the form of a frog. And so this god was considered sacred in Egypt, and so killing frogs was taboo for the Egyptian people. Has anyone here ever squished a frog as a kid? Again, confession time, the pastor's done it. Okay, there's some honest people over here. You would not be a good Egyptian if you squished a frog. They were sacred. One of their gods was in the form of a frog. You could not kill them. And so now imagine the irony and the infuriating position to be in that now they are being plagued by frogs. They're coming up out of the woodwork. They are in your house. They are in your soup. They are in your bed. They are everywhere, and you, as a good Egyptian, cannot kill them. (sighs) Now you're really starting to get under their skin. But again, incredibly, the magicians replicated this miracle. More frogs they produced, and these frogs, it says, came up over land. Now, the only problem with this was, for Pharaoh, what he wanted was less frogs, not more. And so now, for Pharaoh himself, with frogs in the garden, frogs in the palace, frogs in his bed, Pharaoh Pharaoh's finally frogged out. He's had enough. Get rid of the frogs, Moses! And so in Exodus chapter 8, verse 8, we read that Pharaoh summoned Moses, and Aaron said, and said to them, pray to the Lord and take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Whoa. Moses never thought he'd hear those words come out of Pharaoh's lips at this point. He actually said, if you get rid of the frogs, I will let the people go. Now in Pharaoh's reaction, we see a very common occurrence. He puts off submitting to God and his word until the very last possible moment. And when and only when he had exhausted every human possibility did he finally, finally turn to God and he made a vow. Did he intend to keep this vow? We'll soon see. Have we ever done the same thing? Have we ever come to our... our, end of our rope, our our very last, you know, energy, and finally we just have hit rock bottom and we say things to the Lord such as, oh Lord, if you can save my marriage, I will give my life to you and I will be in church every Sunday. Oh Lord, if you can save me from this serious financial situation, if you can spare me from going into bankruptcy, I will give generously to your church for the rest of my life. Oh, Lord, if you just help me pass this final exam, even though I didn't study, but if you can help me pass this final exam and I can get my degree, I will start living my life for you seriously. Oh, Lord, if you can heal me from this disease, I'll start witnessing to my friends. And so here Pharaoh is desperate, and he makes a vow. Moses intercedes, the frogs go away, but what happens? Chapter 8, verse 15, we read... But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen. Pharaoh's vow was insincere. So when relief came, he hardened his heart again. Now, how many of us, in the midst of some extremely difficult circumstance, haven't cried out to God, Oh Lord, just get me out of this, and I will do anything for you. But then when the Lord has come through, relief has come, we too withdraw our vow like Pharaoh. And you see, insincerity of heart leads to a hard heart. And so permit me to ask you again today, what is the condition of your heart? For just as with Pharaoh, God is graciously, mercifully, compassionately giving us every opportunity to hear his word and respond fully And sincerely, holding nothing back. But as with Pharaoh, your opportunity and my opportunity to respond to God's invitation is not limitless. For none of us know how much time we have or at what point one's heart becomes so hardened by that plaque of sin clogging the arteries that it becomes spiritually fatal and we are no longer capable of responding to God's word. D.L. Moody once related the following account. I was in the north of England in 1881 when a fearful storm swept over that part of the country. A friend of mine who was a minister at Evemouth had a great many of the fishermen of the place in his congregation. It had been a very stormy season and the fishermen had been detained in the harbour for over a week. One day, however, the sun shone out in a clear blue sky. It seemed as if the storm had passed away and the boats started out for the fishing ground, anxious to make up for lost time. Forty-one boats left the harbour that day. However, before they started out, the harbour master had hoisted the storm signal and warned them of a coming tempest. He begged of them not to go. He pleaded, Do not go out of this harbour. But they saw... The calm water and the sunny skies, they disregarded his warning. And away they went, 41 boats, filled with six or seven souls apiece. They saw no sign of the coming storm. But in a few short hours, however, it raged down that coast, and very few of those fishermen ever returned home. Five, six, and seven men apiece on each boat, Nearly every last soul was lost in that fearful tempest. And in the church of which my friend was pastor, I believed that there were only three male members remaining. The rest were ushered into eternity because they had not heeded the harbormaster's warning. Proverbs 29 verse 1 states, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed. Now just as it was with the fishermen who hardened their hearts to the warnings of the harbour master, they did not listen to him. So it was with Pharaoh who repeatedly hardened his heart and did not heed the warnings of Moses. But we must not presume that we are immune to making such a fatal mistake as well. Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 7 to 8 gives this warning to the church, written to the early church. The author writes, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. And then verses 11 and 12 say, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. My friends, today is the day that matters. Today, you have heard God's word. Today is the day that God asked each one of us, how will you respond? Now, some of you might be listening to this right now, and in your heart of hearts, you realize you've never yielded your life to God, repented of your sin, and received God's gift of grace made available freely, freely, through his son the lord jesus christ let me just say if that's you today today is a day of opportunity today can be a day of salvation today is the day that you can repent of sin look to the cross of the lord jesus christ recognize that his death was for you and receive his free gift of grace for yourself today can be that day don't wait Now, others of you here today, many of you will have already done just that. But perhaps you've been convicted today of some area in your life where you recognize that you are blatantly disobeying God's word and will for your life. Today is the day that you can repent of that with a sincere heart and allow God's powerful work of grace to begin anew within you. Perhaps today, God has reminded you again of a deeper call to commitment than you have yet made to him and to his service. Perhaps God has been nudging you, knocking on your heart. The Holy Spirit has been saying, I want you to do something very specific. And you've been pushing it away. You've been closing that door, but it's persisting. And maybe this morning you've been reminded of it again whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, let me encourage you with God's word. So long as it is called today, hear God's voice and respond with a sincere heart. And God will soften your heart to him in a way that you've never realized yet in your life. And he will use you according to his will and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we have heard your word, we have heard your voice. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts in such a way that we would willingly, gladly, and eagerly turn to you with sincere hearts, fully and truly holding nothing back. Lord, if there is someone here today who you have prompted of a specific thing, a sin in their life that you are saying, it's time to change, it's time to get rid of it once and for all, to repent and turn to me, receive that forgiveness and grace, and walk in freedom. Oh Lord, would you grant a willing heart and come in behind with your power and your grace to provide whatever is needed to cleanse that sin And to help that person to walk free of it. And the chains would be gone. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who knows that they have not yet submitted to you as Lord and Savior, Father, would you just invite them and say, today is the day. And we can say yes to you. And Father, if there is someone here today who knows that you're calling them to a specific task, a ministry, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that They would stop saying no, stop resisting, and just say, yes, Lord, whatever you have for me is good, and I gladly enter into it. Grant us the faith to step out just as Peter did out of that boat that day, and to do what you're calling us to do. For your glory, we pray this. Bless your people, and use us in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.